I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience made by teens for teens. There's a lot on our minds and talking about it helps. On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And you can join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The handle is Ask Lisa Podcast. And also subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel, Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 148, what should I do with dicey information about other people's kids? You know, one thing I love about the holiday season are traditions that even as the kids get older, they still love traditions like that crazy elf on the shelf. They still like the elf on the shelf, (laughs) even though they know the reality of elf on the shelf. You know, it's magic. It's the magic (laughs) of things. Our tradition, um, so I knit for um, my, is my hobby. And I knit advent calendars for my girls. So um, I didn't know there's a mitten, there's a little tiny mitten or a little tiny hat. And it's in a garland in our kitchen. There's one for each of them. And, you know, I have a college kid who loves when she gets home digging into this thing. Now, of course, she gets home deep into December. Right. And so she gets to open the first like 20 days at once. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. Oh, so, but she still loves it, even though she's in college. She still loves it. And I still love filling it. I mean, I will always love filling it. I love that. I absolutely love that. So it's interesting as you're talking about the different stages, uh, college, this letter talks about getting information and you're not sure what to do about it, which I imagine, Lisa, like kids share and come home and whether it's middle school or, or college. So I want to read this to you. Hi, Dr. Lisa. I've cultivated relationships with my sons, ages 17 and 20, and their friends where I am a trusted resource for information and guidance about hard topics, sex, drinking, social media use, etc. Sometimes I learn about very risky behavior other kids, often girls ages 15 and 16, are engaging in. I always encourage my kids and their friends to be empathetic. 
And it's always been my internal policy to never tell the school or the parents because I don't want to betray the kids' trust. And I feel like they might actually be helping the situation more with their empathy than I would by involving adults. But sometimes I wonder if this is the right approach. Currently, a 15-year-old girl whose mom I barely know has started asking older guys to provide her with alcohol. And I overheard her confiding in one of my son's friends that she recently had sex with two boys at once. So I'm very concerned about her. Thanks for any insights that you can help provide. Okay, where does this parent even begin? Whew, man, I, my mind went to like 14 different places in the course of listening to that letter. So yeah. the first place it went was, you know, man, oh man, what a great adult who is like, okay, my, you know, I've got the relationship with my sons where they are telling me things. I trust them. I, you know, encourage them to be empathic. I put a lot of faith in the value of doing that as opposed to wading in and maybe making things worse by, you know, making a bunch of phone calls. I mean, so, um, so deeply thoughtful, so careful. And yet she's asking, I, I think the critical question, but like, where's the line, right? And she gives us two examples, like the girl asking older guys to buy her alcohol. And I don't know if it's the same girl or a different girl, you know, saying that she's having sex with two boys at once, like that this is making this parent understandably uncomfortable. Like this is a lot of information to have about somebody else's kid. So where does this parent even begin? Like, do you, you have a rule. When should a parent intervene and reach out to another parent? Because you surprised me about this early on. You said that it's not your default to just go pick up the phone and call the parent. Why? Well, what I would say the number one reason is what matters is actually your relationship with your kids. And that what keeps teenagers safe is a good working relationship with an adult. This parent has a good working relationship with her kids. Her kid's safety is the priority because they're her kids. And she, I think, has rightly intuited that if they don't trust her, they're not going to tell herself. You know, if she goes around the, around them and picks up the phone, she will harm that relationship, which in my mean, mind means they are suddenly less safe because they don't have that good working relationship. Mm. So there's real value in it. But there are lots of exceptions. So the number one exception, of course, of course, of course, is if somebody safety, like life or death situation, right? I mean, you don't sleep on anything where a kid has, you know, said something that is either directly or vaguely suicidal, right? Mm -hmm. You don't take that under advisement and think about what you want to do. I mean, you, I'll just say exactly what I would want people to do. If you hear that a kid is suicidal, either they've posted something online or they've said something very alarming to, you know, another peer, um, an adult in that kid's family needs to know, right? I mean, like it yeah. needs to be handled. And you know, these are very messy situations and they are very uncomfortable when they happen because often, you know, people are like, yeah, but there's a reason the kid didn't tell their parents or whatever, yeah. you know. So I'll tell you how I think about this clinically, and maybe this can be useful to families as they think it through. Renette, when I was in my um, training to become a psychologist, I was at the University of Michigan, and once a year, the university lawyer would come to the clinics where we were working to talk with us about liability questions. And I always sort of had this daydream when he would come of like that the University of Michigan had some big giant map of like liability hotspots on the campus. And I was like, oh, and like the graduate students caring for the other graduate students was probably like a liability hotspot. And he said to us, think about what trial you want to be in. 
Do you want to be in the stand on a stand where you maintained your client's confidentiality and they died by suicide? Or do you want to be on the stand in a trial where somebody's mad at you about the fact that you violated their confidentiality and the client is alive? Mm. So it was a very useful part of my training, which is there are situations where it's messy no matter what you do, right? Not running the flag up the pole that a kid is suicidal is, you know, very problematic. Running the flag up a pole that a kid is suicidal can also be very problematic. What problematic situation would you like to be in? And wow. not looking for the answer where everything's going to be okay. There's no answer where it's going to be easy. Take the one where you will feel comfortable with the downsides. Wow, that really puts it in very stark sort of terms. Yeah, just to understand what you have at stake here. What when you talk about messy situations, what do you do if you're really good friends with the parent and you know you being the messenger is not going to go down well, even if you're trying to do the right thing? Right. So this is interesting. So the letter specifies, like, helpfully, like a 15 year old whose mother I barely know. Right. So there's also questions of like degrees of distance. So. Obviously, you're going to say something if there's a life or death concern. Like that is, you know, that's that's a given. But then, okay, so say that for the sake of argument, the letter writer was like, I am really close with the parents of the 15-year-old who was asking older kids to buy their booze, mm -hmm. right? Like that that changes the nature of it. Like if it's very far away, you can see like, you know what? It's not your kid. It's not your it's, – it's too far away to be, make sense. I think that gets really tricky. Even still, when we feel we need to act, and sometimes we do, the best approach always is to try to go through the teenagers. So to say to the teenage sons, can you guys tell this 15-year-old that you're concerned about her? Can you see if you can make a difference and get her to knock it off? Can you also make sure that nobody will buy for her, right? I mean, what other measures do you have that do not involve a phone call to the adult because it causes so many new fresh problems when we do that? So what you're saying is if you get dicey information, you're first, and you know that it's not going to lead to death, you know, in the next 24 hours, the best situation when you've got spicy information about another kid is not to go to the parent, but to see if the kids can work it out and intervene before an adult has to intervene. Yeah, and it can even take it up several, not just through the kids, right? So say it's something where like a kid has a real drug problem and the peers know it and the parents some, you know, just don't, which can definitely happen. That needs to that that, you know, the adults need to know that kid needs mm. treatment. And mm. so then you can say to a teenager, here's what you should say to your friend. Either you need to tell your folks that you have a drug problem and need treatment, or I'm gonna tell your folks that you have a drug problem and need treatment. Like, what do you want it to be? And again, these are not fun situations, and this is not going to be pleasant. But what I really, really value about teenagers is they are deeply loyal and they want the right thing for their friend. And so it also can really help to prepare them. Like if you know a kid pushes back and says, like, don't tell my parents about my drug abuse mm -hmm. or don't tell my parents about my eating disorder or my out-of-control drinking, we want our kids to be equipped to say, look, I'm going to do it. And you may be very angry with me. I would rather you be angry with me and you be safe than you and I get along and you be in danger. Mm. So get them ready for the pushback. The other thing you can say to your teenager is, do you want me to make the call? Right? You can do it. Your teenager may say, I need you to call that other kid's parent. Right? But do it if you can with your teenager's blessing or request 
you know, because sometimes they're like, I don't want to be part of this. And right. But there's lots of um, options between doing nothing and picking up a phone call, a phone mm-hmm. impulsively and calling another parent. Wow. Because my first response would be, oh, pick up the phone and deal. But you you have gotten me to think differently about when it is time to intervene. Lisa, I want to pause and take a quick break. And on the other side of this break, I want to ask you a little bit more about what this mom overheard and um, what could really happen for the consequences here. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash ask Lisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. We're talking a little bit about when you get sort of dicey, spicy information about another kid. Do you intervene? What do you do? You know, it's interesting, Lisa, on the topic of do you intervene, I think what I've heard from you on the other side of the break was that let the kids 
can they can achieve more with their own empathy than with adult intervention. It's true. I mean, teenagers are kind of extraordinary in taking care of one another. And I really appreciate the way the letter writer credits them with this. Um, I want to put an asterisk on that, though, because one of the things that I have seen, and I think that you, as you have your kids move deeper into adolescence, you will see, is that sometimes teenagers are so empathic, they end up almost serving as like a junior Johnny psychologist for their peers, Mm. where there's a peer who maybe is having a hard time, and maybe it's not at a level where there's a safety concern or anything like that. But there's long phone calls that go deep into the night and, you know, peers who may expect a very rapid text response when your kid's supposed to be studying, but the peer's very needy and has become very dependent. So they found a wonderfully empathic friend and then they are asking what I would say is probably more than is fair. So we want kids to be empathic, but I also want us to keep an eye out for when our kid who is trying to um, keep a peer afloat themselves is starting to feel bogged down or drowning in that. And I think in those moments, it's really helpful to say, you know, you are doing an incredible job of supporting your friend. What you're doing isn't working. Clearly, they need more support than you as an untrained person, much not even just teenager versus adult, untrained person can provide. How can we help? How can I help you get your peer to the support that will actually help them feel better? So acknowledging to your child, wow, you've done a great job at helping, but it sounds like they need more. What's What do you think the next step should be? What do I personally think or asking no, no. the teenager? Meaning asking the teener, teenager, throwing exactly. it back at them. The question, you know, yeah. what do you think that we should do next in this situation? Yeah. I think absolutely, right? Like how can we help you? Like, you know, here's what I think should happen. How do you think we could go about it? Exactly. So we want them to be empathic. It can, can go very far, um, but it hits its limits, both in terms of sometimes teenagers have more needs than their peers can meet, or teenagers are in situations. And the ones I always watch out for are things like eating disorders, substance, you know, um, dangerous relationships, which we've talked about, um, out of control, you know, kind of risky behavior in any other form, self-harm, you know, things like that. I am very clear with teenagers, like not your department, way above your pay grade, above the pay grade actually of every adult who's not trained to deal with that. So let's get your friend the, the support they deserve. I'm curious, Lisa, about what this mom overheard, you know, the, saying that the girl, saying that she had sex with two boys at once. I mean, she really overheard that. I mean, what what does it change the fact that she, this isn't coming from her child? She heard it directly, right? Well, it is interesting, right, that this one is not even hearsay. Though, of course, we have some questions about, like, is it true, right? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when you said... When you read that part of the letter, I was like, gosh, like that feels sort of in some ways almost implausible, right? That you would hear a kid say something like that. But what it reminded me of, Rena, is um, the way in which teenagers can actually be very, very free about what they say um, in front of adults. And I remember learning this, um, this is like more than 20 years ago. Um, you know, my husband's a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And and when we, before we had kids, he was teaching and he was also one of the baseball coaches, at his school. And the school got to take a a trip to Florida over spring break with the baseball team. Mm. And so like we didn't have kids and they were like, you want to come? I was like, sure. Okay. So my husband and I and all the other coaches went to Florida with a pack of teenage boys, which largely involves spending a huge amount of time driving around in a van with a pack (laughs) of teenage boys. Sounds familiar. Exactly. And we were in the back and 
I was, I mean, I was a young psychologist at that point, and I thought I knew a fair bit about teenagers. I was blown away by how the boys seemed to entirely forget that we were right there. Mm. They were talking and talking and talking about all sorts of stuff that I just would never imagine they would have. And I even said to my husband, I was like, what's the deal? He's like, just they forget we're here or it doesn't matter that we're here as long as we're quiet. They'll just keep going. And so it is plausible to me, actually, drawing on experience, that if this is a, you know, this mom is low-key, contained in another room, that I'm amazed by it. But And parents will say the same thing if they, like, pick kids up from the dance. If the parent is the quiet chauffeur, mm-hmm. they will hear everything much more than they expected. So she did overhear it. I think on this one, again, it has to be taken under advisement. It has to be dealt with carefully. I do wonder if it was said to one of her kids, if there's value in circling back and saying, you know, she said it where I could overhear it. Are you, what are you thinking about this? You know, because that's a real burden then for that teenager to be carrying. But to go slow and ask questions and figure out what's the risk level here and how much do we think this is likely to be true and how do we put it together with other information we have to um, intervene in a way that makes the situation net-net better, not worse. Mm. So it may be messy at the start, but over time could make it better. That's so interesting. Sometimes we don't think about it. We want to make the situation better, not worse. And when you are a holder of information that you think that other people should know, sometimes your your reaction is just to tell them to inform, but to step back and say, God, is this, is this really going to help or is it going to make it worse? Yeah. And what you've brought up, right? Involving teenagers and trying to sort through what are the available options. Now, one thing that I think can also happen if the parent trusts the school, you know, and not all the time that it happens or doesn't trust everybody at the school. Um, I will say, you know, for a long time, I consulted to a school in my community. Every once in a while, I would get a call from a parent who was trusting me and they were putting a lot of trust in me. And they would say, I got this information about one of your students and I just want you to have it. And I will trust you to decide what to do with it. And then they would tell me something like this. You know, I overheard this kid say, you know, she was having sex with two kids or, you know, I overheard, you know, some other story or my daughter is telling me this and I don't know what to do with it. And they'd say, I just want you to have this information. And then they would say, let this never be attached to me. Like, mm-hmm. let I don't want any. Mm-hmm. And if you have someone at the school you can trust, this can be a very good half step Because what you're basically saying is what you're describing. Like, I've got this information. It's making me super uncomfortable. I need to hand it off to somebody. Right. But I'm not dropping bombs, right? I'm I'm going carefully. And then as the recipient of that information, Rena, here's what I was often able to do just because I had a lot of contextual information. I would think, holy moly, this is the third thing I've heard about this kid in a month. I've heard something from a classmate. I've heard something from a teacher who's wondering what's going on with this kid. And now I'm getting this call. Okay. Like, we're going to start to put wheels in motion very carefully to get this kid a lot of support. Or I would sometimes get a thing and I'd be like, okay, this is a kid we've known for a long time. We have a lot of contextual information. Maybe, you know, we've known her to sometimes say things that don't really add up in the end. Like, like, you know, you don't want to be judge and jury on these things. But 
if you can get the information to someone you trust who has vastly more context, Mm -hmm. that can actually be a useful path forward. That's so great that sometimes you can drop information and and just tell somebody, I don't want to be attached to this, but yep. here. This, but this I want you to have it. That's I want great. you to have it. Especially if you know it might cause them harm or danger or irreparable yeah. damage of some sort. I feel like the, the theme of this episode is half steps, mm. right? Like what's a half step? And, you know, what could you do that is something, but it's not the strongest first impulse you have? And I'll tell you, Rena, why I am the world's biggest fan of half steps. I've learned around teenagers and around delicate situations, everything we do has unintended consequences and also unforeseeable consequences. So you think like, I'll make this call. It's going to go this way. You make the call. It does not go that way. (laughs) So so I've always been careful as I've practiced over time to think, okay, well, what's the smallest thing that one could do that makes sense? And let's see the ramifications of having done that before making the next decision. That makes sense. That, that's great advice. So um, there's so much here that you've unpacked for us today. What, what do you think the big thing is? If you were to step back and and just bottom line, keep in mind, you've talked to us about half steps. You talked to us about the kids sort of working together within themselves, you know, amongst themselves without a parent intervening. And when, if it's a life or death situation, obviously you don't hold that information. But what else do you think parents should keep in mind as they're approaching this type topic? For me, the big thing on this is something I am just holding on to all the time now, which is when it comes to adolescent mental health, the most powerful force is strong relationships with caring adults. And so we can put that to work in two ways on this question. The first is maintaining strong relationships with our own kids by not making end runs around them if we don't have to. And lots of times you don't have to. The second is when we are hearing about kids that we have us worried, when we're hearing things that make us concerned, what I would say is, what do we know about that kid's relationship with caring adults? And is there anything from the adult position we can do to quietly help to build that? Can we reach out to that kid in a way that's not weird to try to be supportive? Can we ask our teenagers, is she on a team? You know, does she do stuff after school? You know, is there an adult at school who has a special eye on that kid? That those relationships on their own are so about powerful, so therapeutic. Um, I don't want us to forget about the critical importance of just working to cultivate them all the time. It's mm, great advice. Um, so much here. Uh, and and there are always, when we have these conversations, there are things that I just don't think about because I might need jerk reactions. Oh, you got to call an adult. And, and you're saying, wait, 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 hold on a second. Half steps can be your real step forward. I love it. What do you have for us, Lisa, for Parenting to Go? I think for Parenting to Go, what we want to remember is that by the time a teenager is telling an adult about a concern about a peer, they're pretty worried. You know, teenagers hold a lot of information about each other pretty comfortably. So by the time it gets to the level where they're like, I need to tell an adult, they it's weighing on them heavily. So what I would say is not only don't have your first reaction be to pick up the phone, instead have your first reaction to actually check in with the kid who's telling you, to say to them, whoa, this is really heavy. Like, how are you doing? with this. This is this must have been a lot to carry. 
just starting there and checking in with that reality before moving into strategy mode about who knows what and who needs to know what and what should we do with this information. Just take a beat and um, be there for the kid who came to tell you. Sometimes validating your child's emotions can be so powerful. Yeah. And they're worried. By the time they're talking about it, they are worried. And we want to spend some time there too. Thank you, Lisa. And Lisa, next week, we're going to talk about whether you should bribe your kid. So I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.